G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au My father told us one time that Mussolini was coming to meet the troops and he's walking in front of them and just eyeballing practically each one of them. And when he got to my father, he stopped and he actually put his hand on my father's cheek and he said, oh, you're such a young man. And uh, (laughs) when Mussolini left, everybody wanted to touch my father's cheek. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scatterbo. When Bruno Frigoli was a young man, he followed his father into military service in Italy in the 1930s. He eventually rose through the ranks and became one of Mussolini's bodyguards. However, after World War II ended and Italy was defeated, Bruno's father was executed and Bruno was sent to prison where his fellow inmates were getting executed one by one. Undoubtedly, he must have been asking himself, am I going to be next? Little did he know at the time, but God had big plans for him in South America. We're going to hear Bruno Frigoli's amazing story today as we have a chat with his daughter, Erica Grace, who has an amazing story of her own, which we will eventually hear a little bit later. Erica Grace, welcome to the program. Oh, hello, Eric. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on the program. And we should say that we're recording this just a few weeks after your dad has passed away. Is that right? Yes, you're right. So uh, we want to, well, first of all, offer you our condolences on the passing of your father and also say that today's telling of your father's story is kind of a a tribute to him and his amazing life. Yes, thank you for that. I feel like we can do him justice and and the tribute that he would have liked to give to the Lord for Mm -hmm. all he's done in his life. Amen. Okay, well, let's go back to Italy in the 1930s. Mussolini was the leader of Italy at that time. And when we look back in history, we think of Mussolini as more or less being the Hitler of Italy, you know, a dictator, a bad guy. Mm -hmm. However, we were chatting before we started to record, and you were saying that in the 30s, Mussolini was looked at as a pretty good guy. Is that right? Yes, I remember my father speaking to us about that time in history when he was a young man and when he was going to school and uh, all the schools had a big picture of Mussolini in their classrooms and uh, he had come in right after World War One mm-hmm. and had done a lot of good for Italy. So that's one side of history that other countries never hear about Mussolini. So the people in Italy at first, in the beginning, were, you know, they, they loved him. Mm-hmm. I know my father's family just thought he was the greatest thing that Italy had ever received, and Italy was being um, helped and developed, and um, so they saw him as a savior, really. Mm. Because the economy was doing well, and yep, people were better, working, and, and, and the, mm-hmm. the roads were being built, and mm-hmm. a lot of industry was coming to the nation or being started, and the railroad tracks and trains 
were working so well. Everything was functioning mm-hmm. so well that the Italians were feeling, yes, we have a good government. But then it kind of went from just admiring him as a good political leader to kind of becoming like a cult-like figure. Is that exactly. kind of the case? Then he just became a dictator. And it just became a cult because mm. they started calling him Il Duce, which, you know, it's like the highest uh, praise they can give a man. And, uh, and he really was worshipped yeah. in many places in Italy. And I know in my father's family, uh, my father was just, he idolized him. Hmm. So if people are wondering, well, how in the world did he admire and have Mussolini as a hero? Well, this kind of explains what the thinking was in Italy at that time. They were so grateful for him for helping develop the economy and get it back on track. Yes, uh, you know, I mean, if people wanted jobs, there were jobs galore mm-hmm. and, the, and also uh, medical attention for everybody and everybody had bread to eat. You know, it was like the nation was feeling very developed. Mm-hmm. But then also, he was a good speaker, charismatic. A wonderful orator. That's what my father used to say, that he, would, he was able to stir passions. And, the, you know, my father just fell under the spell yeah. Il Duce. Yeah, yeah. And then for him to rise up through the ranks and actually work for him, that must have been like his dream come true. Yes, and my father's father was in the military, mm-hmm. and uh, he was delighted when two of his sons joined the military. My father's brother also joined, and uh, my father rose to the rank of lieutenant, but also he was selected into the elite group that was the bodyguard of Mussolini. Mm -hmm. And some of the thinking at that time was fascism. It was a fascist dictatorship. And there was a bit of racism involved in that. Is that right? Yes. Yes, there was. Um, There was a feeling, you know, that um, some races were inferior to other races. Um, I, I know that in Italy there was persecution of the Jews in the sense that they would round them up towards the end of the war especially. They did round them up and they would send them to Germany and I think it was because there was collaboration between Mm. the fascists and the Nazis. Yeah, so Mussolini and Hitler were working together and had a very anti-Jewish attitude at that time. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did and they they sort of thought that they were going to conquer the world, sort of divvy up the nations. Um, wow. I mean, they, they really thought they were better than everyone else. Yeah. Yes, I think they had solutions for all the world hmm. in their own minds. Yeah, they were so deceived. And as you mentioned, your father, unfortunately, was under that spell. And so he agreed with the racist thoughts as well, the anti-Semitism that was around at that time. Yes, there was an underlining thought, uh, especially with um, the Jewish people, that they were the ones that killed Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they would call them Jesus killers. So in their minds, it was justified to persecute the Jews? Yes, yes. I think there was also a bit of suspicion, because a lot of the the best of businesses, the best of... uh, jewelries and all, all the kind of top businesses, musicians and all the, the leading minds, the philosophers, they were all Jewish. Hmm. And there was a, 
a sense of insecurity, you know, my goodness, what are they telling us, ripping us off, I mean, mm. <laughs> or are they, um, can we trust them? And of course, because this sentiment was, was spreading, uh, it just multiplies. So they didn't want to just give them credit for doing well in business or well in music or philosophy. It had to be some type of uh, conspiracy that was behind it. Yes, they began to not trust them. You know, mm, you couldn't yeah. trust the Jewish people. Okay, so that was the racist, uh, fascist dictatorship mindset at that time in yes. Italy. And then your dad is working for Mussolini, his hero. Yes. Can you tell us uh, the story about the time Mussolini had an encounter with your father? Uh, yes, my father told us one time that uh, Mussolini was coming to meet the troops, this elite group that was going to be his bodyguard. I think there was about 50 men. And he's walking in front of them and just eyeballing practically each one of them. And when he got to my father, he stopped. And he actually put his hand on my father's cheek and he said, Oh, you're such a young man. And uh, sort of patted his cheek and went on. And uh, <laughs> when Mussolini left, left the group, everybody wanted to touch my father's cheek. Oh, wow. Because Il Duce had touched his cheek, you know. And I can remember my father being so proud of himself and going around telling, Il Duce touched my cheek, you know. <laughs> and all people would go, oh, my goodness, can I touch it? Can I touch it? And he said uh, he really was uh, so upset the day that he finally had to wash himself <laughs> <laughs> because he would wash off the touch of Il Duce. It was that kind of adulation. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that really tells you he was like worship. Mussolini was like a rock star of that day. Yes. So, yeah, that was uh, quite an experience. And then also, uh, I guess your father was in the same room with Hitler at the time? Mm-hmm. He told us, when, we asked him one time whether he had met Hitler, and he said that his, a small group from his platoon, from his um, this bodyguard group, was inside the room. Mm. with other soldiers, and Hitler and Mussolini were in the room. So he did actually stand within two meters of Hitler, and he was able to wow. look at him and watch him and hear him. And uh, at that time and under that uh, receiving power, he just thought, my goodness, these are the most brilliant men in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so completely under their fascist dictatorship type spell at that time. Yes. Our guest today is Erica Grace, who is the daughter of Bruno Frigoli, who was one of the elite bodyguards of Mussolini during World War II. Now, Mussolini was a fascist dictator, and after the war, after Italy was defeated, Mussolini was killed, and then Bruno was sent to prison. We're going to find out what happened next in his life when we return, right here on Real Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. 
Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today we're hearing the fascinating story of Bruno Frigoli, who was one of Mussolini's bodyguards during World War II. We're chatting with his daughter, Erica Grace, who's joining us from her home on the east side of Melbourne, and she's sharing his life journey. Before the break, we heard how Bruno rose through the ranks and became one of these elite bodyguards. Now we're going to find out what happened next in his life during World War II. So here he's working with his, his hero. What happened yes. next? So what's happening is that um, actually both Mussolini and Hitler, but Mussolini especially, was getting pushed back. People were tired of his dictatorship, um, especially in the south of Italy. They mm-hmm. started rising up, and they started um, being anti-fascist, and the fascists were overplaying their hand. They were becoming more and more violent and uh, without mercy. Mm. And, and the Italians started rising up against them. And then, so they started actually having like an internal battle. But so Mussolini, towards the end, he could tell that the country was turning against him. Mm. And uh, he was a very suspicious man. In the end, they were saying, okay, I'm going to have to get out of Italy. And actually, America was working on his behalf as well. Mm trying to get him out of Italy safely and promising the people that there would be like a court of justice, you know, that they could actually try Mussolini for crimes of war or whatever Mm -hmm. they were Mm -hmm. trying to ask for. To have him be held accountable. Be held accountable. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to leave Italy up in the north, and he was, the whole idea, and my father was part of the group, several groups that were going to oversee his safe exit from Italy to Switzerland, which Mm -hmm. was a neutral country. So my father's platoon was safeguarding this region up in northern Italy, and everything was ready, and Mussolini Luce was to come through this, you know, with all his entourage, and they had everything ready. But uh, my father said that at the last, at the end, he didn't trust his own people because he felt that there were too many molds. And uh, the Germans talked him into coming with them. There was a a platoon of German soldiers, uh, Nazis, Mm -hmm. who said, we're also up in northern Italy, and they were going the other way through another border into Austria and Germany. And uh, they said, you can come with us. You'll be safe with us. And he trusted them more. You know what actually happened? He put on a German soldier uniform with Mm. um, the headgear and the jacket. The only thing he didn't change was his pants. And he got into the back of a truck with all these other German soldiers. And the partisans were already all over northern Italy. And they sort of sensed that Mussolini would try to escape. So they were guarding all the borders. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to see, make sure that all the, the soldiers in the back were Germans. And they, it, it was just a cursory stop. They, they really didn't bother the Germans. They, didn't, they weren't interested in the Germans. So they opened the back of a truck and they looked. And they all looked like German soldiers, except that one of the partisans noticed that this man sitting among all these German soldiers had a red stripe down his pants, which was a trademark of Luce. <laughs> oh. Luce's pants. <laughs> and uh, 
He gave the himself away. Artisan said, "Hey, come over here." And there were just five little men. It was like it wasn't a big troop of partisans. It was just a small group. Yeah. And they said, "We want to see that man." But they had they had rifles. They had. I mean, the Germans right then could have turned on these partisans and safeguarded Mussolini, but they didn't. To tell you the truth, there wasn't much love lost between them, mm. between Mussolini and Hitler, really, underneath it at all. Mm. So they just handed him over, and the partisans just couldn't believe their luck. <laughs> yeah. They had nabbed Il Duce himself. Then they didn't know what to do. And they, they took him off the truck, and the truck was allowed to go on. And so now they had Il Duce. They put him in, in just a farmhouse. They kept him under lock and key in a farmhouse. And, you know, I think he could tell that this was his end. There was a lot of diplomacy at the time between Germany, Italy, whatever government was in, in power, and uh, Switzerland and America. When they heard that Mussolini was captured, they said, you know, give him to us and you will get your trial. But the partisans just... They, they were incensed and they were furious. And I mean, it had been like 20 years that Mussolini had been in power and and they had had a gutful and they wanted revenge. And Mussolini had a girlfriend, a lover. I think he asked for her and he she came. And uh, as, as it happened, they, they shot them both. Mm. And my father was still waiting for news from... You know, where is he? Why isn't he coming? And then there were rumors. He was captured. No, he said, I can't believe it. He can't be captured. He's a luche. <laughs> he's yeah. going to live forever. Yeah. And they said, no, no. We've heard he's captured and he's already dead. No. He just could not believe it. And I don't think we've ever understood the level of shock and disappointment that my father at that moment. Yeah, because he thought Mussolini was like God. He can't be captured. Mm. How, how can he be captured? And even if he's captured, surely they're not going to kill him. Surely. I mean, they can't kill him. Mm. But he was already dead. And mm. that is, that's exactly what the partisans wanted. They knew that people would talk them out of shooting him or just, you know, killing him. Mm. And they wanted to get it done so that nobody could talk them out of it. Mm. So let's let's get back to your father's story, he's okay. devastated. Yeah. What happens to him next? Uh, well, then fear spread on the whole platoon. They, they all started, um, they all sort of said, okay, I'm out of here. Mm, okay. <laughs> and the, disbanding. Yeah. And that's when really they were caught. The partisans caught them. And then they caught my father, of course, he was in there. And um, they jailed them all. And uh, by this time, he had heard also that my father's father was one of the fascist uh, military men that had been shot and killed. Mm. They were just going, the partisans were going around Italy just shooting them and, and just having like their own little courts, you know, mm. and uh, just to say to the world, yeah, we had, we had a little court of justice, but it was their own mm. mock sort of... Yeah. <laughs> jury and their own mock judges and it was just a way of mocking the uh, kind of a kangaroo court just so they could say they had something yeah yeah so what happened to your father 
Yeah, so he ended up in this jail, and uh, along with his his men, and just one by one they'd come and call, you know, the soldier and say, "Okay, it's your time for trial." And the next thing they'd hear, yeah, you know, he's been he's been shot, he's been shot. The one that really traumatized my father was he had a, a very close friend whose name was Mario, and um, interesting. They held him in these prisons. The families were sort of allowed to come and meet the soldiers. And so they had like a courtyard, and Mario's wife had come across the courtyard, had actually met him through bars. You know, they mm, couldn't get out, yeah. but he threw bars and told her, the baby's due in two weeks, mm. and, uh, you know, I brought you some bread and some salami and all this kind of stuff. And and of course, Mario is just delighted to see her. And so then the soldiers come in a couple of days later, and they say, "Mario, it's your turn for trial." And he goes, and he comes back, and everybody's like, "What happened?" I said, "I'm going to be set free." Hmm. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful news! And they said, "Yes, because I'm going to be, you know, this is the first time I'm going to be a father." And uh, and so they said, "You can go free." And so they said, "Okay, Mario." On, on Tuesday morning, we'll let you free. And everybody's writing all these letters and mm. send this to my mother and send this to my girlfriend and, you know, go visit my dad and blah, blah. And as he's saying goodbye, giving hugs to all his men, the men, walking across the courtyard, he was shot. Wow. Um, by snipers. And that was another thing that just my father just couldn't, I don't think he ever got over that. Mm. He was just petrified. And in the end, it was just my father and the priest. <laughs> they had like a platoon priest. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, my father said, oh, what, what can we do now? You know, it's just the two of us. And he had asked the priest, which saint should I pray to? Because my father was a very avid Catholic, by the mm-hmm. way. A fervent Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the priest said, son, I don't think there's any saint that can help you now. Oh, wow. Tomorrow is trial day. And I don't think there's any saint. There's no saint that can help. And so my father said, well, if no saint can help me when I need them, why why do I need a saint? Mm. If I come out of this alive, I will never step into a church again. And the priest said, me neither. (laughs) Oh, wow. So the priest had lost faith. (laughs) The interesting thing is that when my father went for his trial... They found him, well, they didn't find him innocent, but they said, look, his dad has been shot mm-hmm. already for, as revenge. There's no life for him in Italy. Let's put him in exile. And so that's how my father, somebody spoke up for him in this mock jury, and uh, they let him go. Wow, so he's set free, he's sent to exile to South America, We're going to have to stop it there, unfortunately, because we've run out of time. But Erica, would you please come back to share the rest of your father's story? Oh, yes. Yes, I will. (laughs) Because we know it gets very, very good once uh, it gets to South America. So we'll have to hear part two next time when Erica Grace will join us once again to tell more of her father's story, who once was Mussolini's bodyguard. So we invite you to join us again next time for part two of Bruno Frigoli's story. You've been listening to Real Faith, 
And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.